Uh, about two months ago, I received an email from someone I don't know. They live on uh, or live out in the West Coast, and it was an individual that was uh, asking for help, uh, specifically not for themselves, but for a friend who lives close to here. Uh, this was her email. My friend is really far from God right now and is not in a great place. I've looked around your website, listened to some messages, and it seems like you guys want to reach people far from God. My friend works in so-and-so place, so is there any way that you can send someone to where she works, someone who might be able to befriend her and talk to her about God's love for her? I remember when I shared that email with my wife, Kyla, I was so convicted, but I was so encouraged that somebody thousands of miles away from here just had a tremendous heart for her friend. And so in talking with Kyla about it, I said, Kyla, we've got to do something about this. And so uh, we figured out where her friend was and where she was at work. And so I said, Kyla, I know this is kind of awkward, but let's just see what happens. And so Kyla went to spend uh, just to try to meet this woman and was actually able to meet her uh, and only had a very small window of time, uh, about 10, 15 minutes at best to actually interact with this individual. And Kyla was retelling the story to me. She was like, Man, my heart was beating so fast. I didn't know how to bring up, um, hey, just so you know, you're, she didn't want to say anything about her friend, but she just simply said, hey, I don't mean to sound weird or make this awkward, but I just wanted you to know as I've been sitting here, I've been just praying for you, and I just feel like God wanted me to tell you that he loves you. He knows you, he knows where you're at, he knows what's going on in your life, and he just wants you to know that he loves you. Uh, and she just began tearing up, and they had some good conversation after that. But what was so compelling to me about this individual uh, from the West Coast is she was not confused in the slightest bit as to who her one was. And I'm defining or describing one as that one person in your life who you would love to see them begin a relationship with God. I'm defining that one as that one person that you would love them to see, experience, and encounter God's great love for them. I'm defining one as that one person that you would love to see them go from making their life just about their life to actually making their life about all that Jesus has for them and the abundant life that he's inviting them into. Uh, in 2018, there's 93 days left. Uh, there's 93 days, don't freak out, you still have time here. You have 93 days left in 2018. And what I'd like you to consider is in the next 93 days, who would be one person in your life that you would love to see them begin walking with God? Who is one person in your life that you would love to see them begin walking with God? Maybe it's someone from work. Maybe it's someone that you interact with and see 40, 50, 60 hours uh, in any given work week. Maybe it's someone from your place where you study in school. Maybe it's somewhere uh, in your own family, someone that you're currently living with or maybe extended family. Who is one person in your life over the next 93 days that you would love to see them begin walking with God? Now, as you think about that one person for you, let me ask this question. How would you feel if there were 750 people who were just as committed to reaching your one as you were? How would you feel 
if there were 750 people who were committed to loving your one person in such a way that they would actually feel the love of God in the way that these 750 people actually loved them. I'm guessing all of us say that would be absolutely amazing to know that there's 750 people who are just as committed to your one as you are. I'm guessing it would be pretty encouraging to know that, gosh, it's not all on me. It's not just up to me to reach this one. There's 750 other people who are just as excited, just as prayerful and hopeful and just wanting to see that one person begin a relationship with God. And just so you know, I'm not making up the number 750 as some random arbitrary number. On a typical Sunday morning between first, second, and third service, there's about 750 adults uh, that come to these gatherings. Wouldn't it be amazing if 750 people were just as committed to your one walking with God as you were? When I think about church, this is how church is intended to function. It's not just me, it is we. When the Bible talks about church, it doesn't talk about church as just a person. It always talks about church as a people. And I think whether intentional or unintentional, there's been a shift for a lot of people in their thinking and how they think about church. I think it's safe to say all of us would agree that the culture that we live in is very consumeristic. And I think a lot of the consumeristic mindset has crept into, whether intentional or not, has just crept into the church. And so the questions that we are often asking ourselves as the church is, well, what does the church have to offer me? What does the church have to offer me? How can the church help me grow deep? How can the church fill me? How can the church meet the needs that I have, whatever those needs might be? And I'm not suggesting by any means that those are wrong or sinful questions. They're okay questions. But I think the question that doesn't often get asked and needs to be is, how can we reach the one? Not just how can you or how can I reach the one, but how can we reach together the one, the one who is just far from God right now? So as you think about your mentality or mindset towards the church, I would ask, has there been a shift in your thinking towards the church and how you think about how you interact with the church? And I think, honestly, if you want to know how best to think about, well, how do I answer if there's been a shift in my thinking towards the church, you can just consider, well, how do I interact with this church here? If you want to know what your mindset uh, is towards a church, just consider how you interact with this church here. Does this church, just called Genesis, does it exist to meet the needs that you have, whatever those needs might be? Or do you see that this church exists so that collectively we can reach as many ones as God would allow us to reach? The question that I'm really wanting to ask and hopefully answer today is how can we reach your one? I'm not asking how you can go reach your one. I'm asking how can we together, all 750 of us, how can we reach your one? Uh, if you're a parent, whether young kids or old kids, one of the very first things that you begin to teach your kids is about their body. 
uh, you teach their kids about different parts of their body and how things work. Uh, if you've ever seen a parent of young kids, they just freak out when their kids are like, did you see that my kid not only knows where his nose is, but he touched it. Did you see him touch his nose? Did you see her touch her ear? That was the most amazing social media post worthy thing ever. It's the very first thing that we get excited to teach our kids. But no parent would ever, when teaching their kids about the body, would say, all right, listen, you've got 10 fingers, but you're only going to need six of them. Don't worry about the other four. Or I know you've got these things called arms. You've got two of them, but you're only going to use one, so don't worry about the, the one on the right side. Or you've got two legs, don't worry about the one on the left side. When we teach kids about the body, we teach them about every part of the body so that the body can actually function and be absolutely healthy and flourishing. What's fascinating to me is when God wanted us to understand the church, the metaphor that he used is a metaphor of the body. So that when we think about the church, the metaphor is, well, think about your body and how your body actually works. So the church should be working similarly to how our body works. Many parts, one body made up of many parts. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, says this, just two verses starting at verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. And so it is with the body of Christ, the church. Some of us are Jews and some are Gentiles. Some are slaves or servants and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share the same spirit. See, the church, the body of Christ is incredibly unique because it's intended to be incredibly diverse. One body made up of so many different types of people, diverse socially, culturally, economically, politically, language, skills, abilities, gender. The church is designed to be a collection of people from all sorts of different backgrounds and experiences. Now, how is it possible that something so unique, so incredibly diverse could actually ever function in a way that would be healthy and thriving and actually flourishing? And I think the answer to that is, well, Jesus is our one commonality. You and I have one commonality, and our commonality is not that we all share the same parts. The commonality is Jesus is our commonality. This body, the church, would be so dysfunctional. It would be a dysfunctional mess, unable to actually function if we didn't have a shared common denominator. And the shared common denominator that holds all of us together, despite the many diversities amongst us, is Jesus. Now, I realize that some of you might be thinking, Michael, I don't know if you've considered this recently, but the church seems to be somewhat of a dysfunctional mess. And I would say, absolutely, there's a lot of dysfunctionalities in the church. But I wonder if a lot of those dysfunctionalities are ultimately stemming from the body somehow, some way, began to make it about the body rather than the one who actually brings us together. Uh, I work out at a gym called LA Fitness, and uh, I use one piece of equipment there called a treadmill. 
And on the treadmill, I just have the joy of just running in the same place for 45 minutes, going absolutely nowhere. But I have the privilege of just getting to people watch. And it is fascinating watching people in the gym. Specifically, what I would call the mirror people. There's mirrors all over this gym. And I love when people are walking past the mirror, they just stop and stare. And they look at themselves and then they walk away. Literally 60 seconds later, that same person who was literally just in front of the mirror stops and looks at themselves in front of the mirror again. And I'm like, dude, nothing has changed in the last 60 seconds. You look identical to what you look like 60 seconds ago. Move on, stop looking at yourself. And I wonder if what has caused some of the dysfunctionality that we feel in the body, meaning the church, the body of Christ, is that we have become obsessed with looking at the body, looking at ourselves. Because if we lose sight of the one who actually brought us together, keeps us together, Jesus as a common denominator, there's certainly going to be a lot of dysfunctionality in our midst. It says in verse 13, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. All of us have been brought together by Christ. We share that. We've all been given the spirit of Christ. We all share that. And so at some point you can ask the question, well, then why did he do it like that? Why did God bring us all together? Why not just say, hey, come follow me, but you follow me in any way that you want. You kind of go do your own thing. Hey, we're all a bunch of individuals, so let's be individualistic in how we approach everything. Why did he bring all of us together rather than just go your own way and kind of figure things out? As Paul continues to teach in 1 Corinthians 12, he gives us an answer to that question, starting at verse 14. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I'm not a hand, well, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, well, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In many ways, it seems like a simple enough metaphor. The church is very much like a body, one body that is made up of many parts. So it's simple but yet incredibly complex when you begin to think about the complexities of the human body. Now, I don't know if you understand how complex you actually are, how complex we are just in our bodies. Your one body has 12 different biological systems within it. It is estimated, and I don't know how they even count this high, but you and I have 100 trillion cells 78 different organs, 206 bones, 600 different muscles. And before you make any bald-headed jokes about this, we each have 100,000 hair follicles. (laughs) 9,000 different taste buds. 
So clearly, the human body is complex, similar to the body of Christ. The church is entirely complex, but the point of this metaphor is not to be overwhelmed with how complex everything is. The truth not to be missed is just simply this. We all need one another. We all need one another. There is not one of us here that could even look at someone else and declare, I don't need you. I don't need your help. I don't need your encouragement. I don't need your wisdom. I don't need your leadership. I don't need your friendship. I mean, would any one of us ever look at a part of our body and say, yep, I don't need you anymore? Like, would you really look at your fingers and be like, you know what, I can get by without my pinkies. I'll just go ahead and cut them off. Like, we would never, ever do that to our physical body. So why on earth would we ever think that way towards the body of Christ, meaning the church? And again, I wonder if why we can look at each other and say, I don't need you, is simply because we've made the body of Christ about something that it was never intended to be about. If we make the body of Christ, the church, just about us, then we'll get to the point where we can look at each other and say, you know what, I really don't need you and you and you. I figured out how to get by just on two parts. I need a little bit of this person, and I need some of this person, but everyone else, I'm good to go. Because my needs have been met by this and by this, I'm good to go. The body is intended and designed in such a way where none of us could ever look at one another and just simply say, I don't need you. And when we make that statement, whether we give voice to it or just think that maybe in our head or heart, we're not actually making a statement against one another. We're actually making a statement against the one who put the body together. We're making a statement towards God to say, yeah, I know you strategically put all of this together, but I can get by on my own strategy. Because it says in verse, 12, verse 18 and then verse 27, our bodies, many parts. God has put each part just where he wants it. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is part of it. So in the same way that God strategically put our bodies together, he has put and organized the church the body of Christ together, so much so that every part matters. When I say that, what I'm really saying is every one of you matters. And there's not one of you here that matters more or less than the person next to you. Every part in the body matters. Cut your pinky off and see how that feels tomorrow and the next day. It might seem like such a small thing, but every part matters. Everyone here absolutely matters. The question that we've been asking today, that I've been asking today, is how can we, not just you, but how can we reach your one? If we're going to understand how best to even answer that question, we have to have a really good understanding first and foremost of, well, why did Jesus even form the church? Like, what is the point, really, of the church? Why did he form the church? We, we get the body metaphor, we get one body, many parts, many parts working together to, to, to flourish and, and to be healthy, but why did he actually bring us all together? Does the church just exist so I can go deep? Does the church exist just so I can be built up? Does the church exist just so I can get fed? 
whatever fed might mean, spiritually speaking? Does the church exist just so I can learn a lot and I can grow? Does the church exist ultimately just to meet the needs that I might have in any given day or any given season? And let's just personalize it to us. Does Genesis exist just so we have some really good music that will inspire and some messages that might challenge? Or we have Genesis exists just so I can, those programs that are really beneficial to me or to my family or to my kids, does Genesis exist just maybe for great events that we might do? By the way, I would say, yes, the body of Christ, meaning the church, should build one another up, should encourage, should challenge, should equip. But at some point, you have to ask the question, but to what end? Like, are we just wanting to be deep so we can be deep? Are we wanting to be filled just so we can be really full? Are we wanting to be mature just for the sake of being really mature? Like to what end do we want to go deep and get filled and be mature? When I think about the people in my life that I would, in my own classification, say they're some of the most mature, godly men and women that I know, what makes them in my mind, the most mature godly men and women that I know is not something that they know. It's not that I look at them and be like, wow, they are so deep. They're so full. What makes them so mature is they are the very people who care most deeply about those furthest from Jesus. The people that I know that are the most mature and most healthy are those that just care profoundly about those that are furthest from God. Those are the people that long to see more people actually meet Jesus. This woman that reached out to me via email, it's a good chance I'll never meet her this side of heaven. But I remember reading, I was like, wow, this is one of the most mature, godly young women I'll never meet, but I got to interact with. And her maturity was seen in how deeply she cared about her one who was really far from God. Because one would think that if the body is coming together, why he brought the body together, all of us together, I think the answer is found in that the body would actually start caring deeply about what he cares about, that we would start valuing what he values above all things. Does Jesus want us to be deep and mature and be fed? Yes, but not at the neglect of what he cared most deeply about. There's a story told in Luke chapter 19 it's a story of Jesus uh, and a notorious sinner, a tax collector. He would have been hated by all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. And it's a story of Jesus interacting with a man named Zac- Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus saw Jesus coming towards him in the crowd. And the crowd was just pushing him back. He kept screaming, I want to see Jesus. I want to meet Jesus. And the crowds kept pushing him away. So he eventually climbs this tree. So Jesus might see this crazy guy in a tree screaming his name. And would you know it? Jesus does. And Jesus looks at this man, Zacchaeus, and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Zacchaeus, I want to know you. And he calls him out by name. And it says in verse 7 of Luke 19, And the people were displeased that he had gone to this guest of notorious sinner. And so they grumbled. The people were upset that this man wanted to meet Jesus. And so Jesus breaks bread with this man. 
shares with him salvation of just who he is. And at the end of the story in verse 10, it says this, Jesus says, for the son of man, he's talking to the people who are complaining that he loved this man, Zacchaeus, and wanted to reach that one. Jesus says, for the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. So why did Jesus bring us together to be a body? To go after the one. That you and I together would go after the one. That we would care deeply about those who are furthest from God. That what would break our heart is people who are walking right now in lostness or darkness, not experiencing the joy that comes from being a child of God, knowing that you are loved. See, what he wants the heartbeat of his body to be is what his heart was beating for. I came not so you would be mature. I came not so you would be filled and, and, and just grow. I came to seek and save those who are lost. So when I think about, gosh, what is the point of all of this? It's not just so we can grow to just grow for growth's sake and be mature just to be mature and, and to be fed and filled just to be filled up. So the point is that, yeah, we would encourage each other, we would challenge each other, we would help each other walk with God, but to the very point of seeking, reaching those who are furthest away from God. When Genesis began nine years ago, there was never once a conversation of, hey, let's be a church that's known for great music. Hey, let's be a church that's known for really engaging messages and preaching. Hey, let's be that church that just is, kills it with programs. There was never a conversation that took place nine years ago that said, hey, let's throw great parties. Let, let's be that church that has event after event after event after event. The conversation nine years ago was simply this. Let's reach as many ones as we can. That's the heartbeat of the church that's the heartbeat of Genesis, but that is, must be the heartbeat of the church universal. That we are brought together so that together we can collectively reach as many ones as God would allow us to reach. How can we reach your one? When I think about Sunday gatherings like this, our hope, our prayer is that anyone and everyone that would come into a Sunday morning gathering like this, whether it's in the kids' space, in the open space, or in this gathering space here, would experience in the most tangible ways what the love of God is like just by the way that people would love them. Like when I think about the men and women that serve in the parking lot, I love that there are people who are committed to making sure that the second someone drives into 35 Olympiad, they're being greeted by somebody. I'm thankful that there's two or three people out there each service. I'd love to see 20. I'd love to see a ridiculous number of people just in the parking lot making sure that they feel loved before they even step into the, into the space. When I think about when someone walks into our physical gathering space, I'm thankful for the two, three men, women that are serving as greeters, but you know what? I'd love to see 20. I'd love people to be so overwhelmed with like, wow, these people actually like that I'm here. That doesn't happen anywhere else. The way that we collectively can reach a lot of ones together is 
all of us here see ourselves as someone's one might walk through the door one day. And we're going to make sure that that one is so taken care of, so loved, so cared for that when they leave here, they got a tangible expression of, gosh, if this is anything what God's love is like for me, I want to know more about who God is. The heartbeat of our church is to reach as many ones as God will allow us to reach. I don't want to look back 10 years from now and be like, yeah, well, we had some good preaching, some good music, and some good programs. I don't think that's why God brought us together. I'm pretty confident he brought this body together so that in the areas where we are, we can reach a lot of ones.